Psalm 51 is an incredibly rich psalm. That could be said about any passage of Scripture, for it is all God's Word. But Psalm 51 carries, I think, a depth that resonates with all of us. All of us, when we reach that point of just crying out to God for mercy. I want to focus on verses 7 through 12. It's not because the other verses are less important. But I want to focus on these verses to prepare our hearts for prayer on Wednesday night. So that we will be thinking ahead and praying, Lord, renew us. So that you will be praying, Lord, renew me. So let's hear this prayer written by David. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face for my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Renewal is a theme that surfaces in this passage. When I speak of renewal, I'm not talking about an emotional high. Now, there's no doubt that when renewal occurs, it will impact our emotions. God made us that way. When there is a renewed movement of God, a renew, renewing of your walk with God, you will experience different emotions. There may be weeping out of joy or even grief. There may be a, a lightheartedness that results in, in a laughter and a smile and a renewed sense of the joy that only God can give. But that is not where renewal should stop. Those things may be a part of renewal, but they are not the sole definition of what it means to be renewed. Renewal is the restoration of God's people to what would be considered the normal spiritual life. It would be bringing us back to where we ought to be. It would be bringing us back to a, a fresh walk with God. It would be bringing us back to a sense of passion in seeking Him. It would be bringing us back to practicing the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of worship, of fasting, of confession, of community on a regular basis. Renewal is a return to the way things ought to be. Many may say, why do we even need renewal? I think the very fact we ask that shows that we need it. Asking why we need renewal is like saying, why do we have to set a broken arm? Why do we have to fix a, a bone that is out of joint? Simply because it's not the way it ought to be and it was painful and the, the appendage will not function if that bone is broken. That's why renewal is necessary. 
We are to long to be the people that God desires us to be. We are to long to be the believer that God has created us to be. And renewal will occur when we follow a pattern that is laid out in verses 7 through 12. This passage serves as a model of how to seek renewal. This psalm was written in probably what was the low point of David's spiritual life. He had just been confronted with the sin that he had committed, actually two sins. David had committed adultery. He had seen a woman by the name of Bathsheba and he desired her. And as a king, he had the power to make it happen. Word got to him that out of this illicit affair, she was pregnant. So then David conspired to cover up his sin. He called her husband, Uriah, who was a soldier, to come home on leave. Thinking that would give him a reason to say, the baby's not mine, it's Uriah's. But Uriah was a committed soldier. He said, how can I come home and sleep in my house when my, my friends, my fellow warriors, while they're out sleeping in tents, no, I won't do it. So David betrayed his friend. You see, Uriah was one of the mighty men. He was a, a soldier, soldier. So David conspired to have him killed. David sent word to Joab, put Uriah on the front line. And when the battle's raging, the hottest begin to pull back. But be sure Uriah is left alone. And Uriah died fighting for the king that had just signed his death warrant. Adultery, murder, betrayal. This is not the David we think of. David, like many of us, has tried to sweep that under the rug now. Act like things are okay. Act like life is going on. All right, nothing's wrong. How's everything going, David? Everything's fine. Until a man shows up by the name of Nathan. Nathan is a prophet of God. And I have a feeling that the moment David saw Nathan, he knew. He knew what was about to happen. And Nathan tells a story in which a man steals his neighbor's lamb. And David says, that man who stole the lamb ought to be shot. And Nathan says, you're the man, David. You're the man. And out of his brokenness over his sin, David writes this confession unto God. You'll notice as you read it, there are certain themes that surface time and time again. The primary theme is cleansing from sin. David wants to be right with God, so he pleads, cleanse me from this sin. And that leads him to ask God for a new heart. You see, David doesn't want to just gloss over the sin. He wants the source of that sin to be removed. So he says, Lord, give me a new heart. And from that, then he prays, Lord, restore my joy. Forgiveness, a new heart, and joy. Those are things that accompany renewal. So you see, renewal begins and requires a deep down cleansing. Look where David begins in verses 7 through 10. He starts by crying out this this plea unto the Lord, purge me. 
Descend me. Take out the sin. Cleanse it, O God. Cleanse me with hyssop. Now, hyssop was a, a bush, a, a small bush that was often used like a, a paintbrush. When the children of Israel were preparing to leave in the Exodus and they were instructed to put blood over the doorpost, it was hyssop that they would have used like a makeshift paintbrush to put the blood over the doorpost. Hyssop was also used in cleansing rituals. When a man had come into contact with leprosy or had come into contact with a dead body and needed to be purified, the priest would cleanse him with hyssop, sprinkling water and even blood on him to signify that he was clean. So here is David saying, Lord, purge me with hyssop. Cleanse me because I am that leper who has the disease of sin. Lord, cleanse me for I have touched a dead man. I am that dead man, O God. Cleanse me with hyssop. And notice his faith and certainty in God's ability to purify. You do this, God, and I I shall be clean. In other words, David is saying, I cannot clean up my own heart. I can't clean up my mess, oh God. You have got to change me. You've got to purge me. And notice in verse 8, he takes it up a notch. Lord, I want to hear joy and gladness. He is speaking of the grief that has accompanied his sin. A grief that we become all too comfortable with. Because we assume that's the norm. That's just the way it is. But David recognizes that he is lacking joy by its absence. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now David is speaking metaphorically here. God had not literally broken his bones. He's speaking of the weight of conviction. Psalm 32 gives a little bit more insight into this. Psalm 32 was written after this confession as David is celebrating the forgiveness of God. And up on the screen, you'll see Psalm 32 verses 3 through 4. David says, when I kept silent, in other words, where I acted like everything was fine, there was nothing wrong. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. He says, think about this. When I did not deal with my sin and I was just trying to manage God's conviction, my body was weakened. Carrying around guilt will affect you physiologically. David, I believe, is not just speaking here in poetical terms. Unresolved guilt will cause you to lose sleep. Unresolved guilt will eat away at your stomach lining. Unresolved guilt will cause us to be unfocused. And David is saying, when I kept silent about my sin, I was wasting away. And so now he is praying, Lord, heal me of this. And then in verse 9, he says, Lord, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. This poses a theological conundrum. For how can an all-knowing, ever-present God hide his face? Once again, David is using language to say, Lord, erase the sin. The second part of verse 9 focuses upon that. Blot out my iniquities. Remove it, Father. Hide your face by removing it completely. This, This is an echo of Psalm 103, verse 12, where he says, Take my sin and cast it into the wind as far as the east is from the west. And then he deals with the root of the problem. Verse 10. Created me a clean heart, O God. A 
and renew a right spirit within me. The heart deals with your desires. It is your heart and your desires that often drive your decisions. Often our decisions are not made on pure rational basis. How many of us would be honest and confess that we have made decisions and done things that are irrational? David's dealing with the heart here. He's dealing with what drives those decisions. He is saying, Lord, I need a new heart so that I will desire you. That's echoed when he says, renew a right spirit within me. He's saying, Lord, give me a spirit that will not seek to sin. He's not just dealing with the surface issues. He's dealing now with why he sought Bathsheba. He's dealing now with why he sought to murder Uriah. He's dealing with his heart that was in rebellion against God. And he's saying, Lord, give me a new one. Make me clean. Give me deep down cleaning. And you and I recognize within our homes there are different levels of cleaning, aren't there? I mean, there is that cleaning when you find out somebody's dropping by, that cleaning of just get the toys out of the room. Just get the clutter up, put them in a closet, put them in the garage. Thank God for garages. They're just large closets. Just get it out of the way. The house is clean. Then there's a step up from that. There is vacuuming. Yes, good vacuum, sweeping. And then there's a step beyond that. Two words. Rug doctor. But then you can go even a step further. Tear up the old carpet and take it to the dump. Isn't there something cathartic and cleansing and freeing about taking stuff to the dump? Oh, just to go and chunk it. Get rid of it. I thought I would use this and now five years later I've not touched it once. Get rid of it. God's talking about the deepest level of cleansing here. Getting rid of the old heart and giving a new one. Saying, Lord, you are changing me. They're saying, no more sin management. Now, I think there are two extremes that we go to. One is what I call sin management. It's the idea that I've got my sin under control. No one knows about it. Yeah, I may gossip a little bit. I may lust a little bit. I may be greedy. But I've got it under control. It's manageable. It's nice. It's soft. It really doesn't hurt anybody. I'm managing my sin. Listen very carefully. You never manage sin. Sin manages you. And if you've grown comfortable with any sin, that is a sign that its power has indeed corrupted your thinking because you don't see it as a threat. It's like being at ease with a little bit of dirt in your brownies. It's just a little bit. No, I don't want any. The other extreme is this. It's those who are carrying this guilt because they are engaged in the fight against sin. They are seeking God, but yet there is this besetting sin that comes back time and time again. And to that person who is struggling with guilt because you can't seem to shake it and you want to, I would remind you to be confident in the mercy of God. Because Romans says that where sin abounds, grace super abounds. And to stay in the fight, keep pursuing renewal, apply yourself to sanctification. But this year, going into 2019, ask this question. Lord, what would you have me do differently? 
know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. What would the Lord have you do differently this year? Is this the year he would say commit to read the Bible daily? Whether it be through the community Bible journal or another reading plan. Would this be the year he says I want you to engage more in prayer with other believers? Would this be the year that God says maybe, now let's get radical, practice fasting one day a week? One meal a week? What is the Lord calling you to do to continue in this process of sanctification and laying before Him, Lord, cleanse my heart. And we will begin to pursue that when we recognize that the presence of God is truly glorious. Verse 11 shows the fear of David. He's afraid he's reached the threshold. He's afraid he's reached the point of no return. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He recognizes the danger of a severed relationship with God. And I think David is reflecting upon a living example he had seen. Remember, David had served in Saul's administration. Saul was the king prior to David. And it did not end well for Saul. Saul rebelled against God. In fact, David could have had in mind this very instance. You'll see it up on the screen from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. It's as if God said, Saul, you're not seeking me, so my blessing, my spirit's not going to be on you. And these spirits that are wanting to come and attack you and discourage you and lead you far away from me, I'm no longer going to prevent that. David could have been remembering what happened to Saul. And he's saying, Lord, I don't want that. You see, for a king, the removal of God's spirit meant the rejection of the monarchy. Now the question is, what about for us believers on this side of the cross? Where we believe that by faith we are eternally secure in Jesus? That we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit? That we've been adopted with an irrevocable adoption? How does this apply to us? I believe firmly. That for the believer who struggles with sin, God does not remove the Holy Spirit. But that spirit within us is grieved. And I say that based on Ephesians 4.30 upon the screen so you can see it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. So while the Spirit would not be removed, it can be grieved within us. And if the Holy Spirit is grieved within us... And the Holy Spirit is the source of joy and peace. Doesn't that mean that joy and peace will be lacking in our lives? Doesn't it mean that that awareness of the presence of God will be muted? Doesn't that mean that we won't have that awareness, that passion, that vitality of being in God's presence because our sin has grieved the Spirit of God? It's not that the Spirit has been removed. It's that something, our sin, is preventing the working of the Spirit because the Spirit is a person whom we have offended. Think of it like this. When that storm comes and a tree limb falls against the wires or the ice causes the wires to break and the electricity is not reaching your house, 
The wiring in your house hasn't been removed, has it? It's still there. The power's not flowing to it. That's the problem. Our sin is that branch on the wire of God's power. And the Spirit is grieved. That's why we need to say, Lord, remove anything that is a barrier between us. Remove anything that would prevent me from walking with you. In 1966, England won the World Cup. The captain of that year's team was Bobby Moore. And immediately after the game, I mean immediately, he was taken to have an audience with the Queen who was present to watch the game. An interviewer afterward asked him, Bobby, what were you thinking going to see the Queen? He said, I was terrified. Well, what was scaring you, Bobby? What were you terrified about? He said this, as I was walking to meet Queen Elizabeth, I noticed that she was wearing white gloves. And I knew that she would extend her hand for me to take her hand. And I knew that my hands were still filthy with the mud and the dirt from the pitch. So as I was walking up there, I was trying to get my hands clean so I could be with the queen. If he was that worried about being in the presence of the queen with dirty hands, how much more so should we be concerned about being in the presence of God with dirty hearts? Now here's our hope. Our hope is the gospel. Remember, David can't clean his heart on his own. He's asking God to do it. Our hope is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that we can go into His presence because Jesus Christ has purified us and covered us with His sacrifice to say that our sin has been atoned for and the Holy Spirit is at work within us. And that is why we can have joy Notice how David ends this section. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy. And notice the source of that joy. It is our salvation. Joy, which means contented, resting in God, comes from our salvation that has secured our relationship with God, our rightness with God, our peace with God, and our contentment is to be based upon that relationship because everything else in this world can and will change. But the joy of your salvation should never be taken away. Because your salvation is secure in what Jesus did on the cross. So we can sing in the words of that famous hymn by Fanny Crosby, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Do you know that assurance? That joy? You see, renewal brings us back to say, Lord, cleanse me. It brings us back to say, Lord, let me be in your presence. And Lord, give me joy. I love the story that Eugene Peterson told before his death. In the 1950s, he was serving as an intern at a church in New York City. While he was working there, he met a custodian, a German immigrant, by the name of Villa Olsa. Villa was an interesting man. 
He had lived through the Nazi atrocities. And because of that, he was very skeptical of Christianity. He had watched as the state church turned its back on those that were suffering. And it preached a watered-down Christianity with no gospel. So he was very skeptical of religion. Eugene also found out that Billy was a painter. And so as their friendship grew, Billy offered to paint a portrait of Eugene Peterson. Late at night, Eugene would go and sit in Billy's apartment while Billy painted and as he was getting close to finishing the portrait, Villa, Villa's wife came in. She took one look at the portrait, and her mouth dropped open. Philly, what are you doing? You've painted him like he's a dead man. Billy stood up and turned the portrait around. This is the first time Eugene had seen it, and sure enough, Eugene Peterson looked like a corpse. Billy had painted his skin pale, his eyes sunken, his cheekbones standing out. He looked emaciated. Billy, why did you do that? Billy also replied by saying, This is what he will look like when the grace and the joy is gone. When his joy has been repressed, and he has forgotten Jesus. This is what he will look like. Eugene Peterson said he kept that portrait. He never put it on public display. He kept it in his closet. And he said every now and then he would take it out. He would walk with it and stand in front of a mirror. And he would look at the portrait. And then he would look at himself in the mirror. And he would look for any resemblances. Have you lost your joy? When it comes to following God, do you just go through the motions? Is there a passion, a vitality to your faith? If you feel those things are lacking, Follow this model in Psalm 51, 7 through 12. And cry out to the Lord, create in me a clean heart. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And after I pray, we're going to stand and we are going to sing a song written by Keith Green. That is this passage. It's a prayer. I ask you to make that your prayer this morning. But to sing it from the heart, if you mean it. If you would like someone to pray with you, I'll be at the front. But there's nothing more powerful in my prayers than anyone else's. But sometimes it helps to know someone's beside you, praying with you. And I'll be glad to serve in that role. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now. Father, if we had such a portrait that was made for Eugene Peterson... How would we compare to it, Lord? I ask for your spirit to take inventory of our hearts this morning. Father, show us where we're trying to practice sin management rather than dealing with the root issue. 
Show us, O oh Lord, where we've become comfortable with the way things are instead of thinking about the way things ought to be. And Father, bring us to the point of David where we are just tired of carrying the burden and we cry out, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Father, do this work to your glory, I pray. Amen. Let's stand. And as we begin to sing, if you need to respond, please come.